Hello, friends. And welcome to episode four of Mad as a Hatter. A Curiosities and Conspiracies podcast. Nailed it. I'm not used to doing that. I know. I switched it up on her last second. <laughs> I wanted to see if she remembered how we started episodes because I sure didn't. <laughs> it's only took me four episodes to kind of get it. We're, we're getting there. Yes. Slowly but surely. All right. So if you are, for whatever reason, jumping around, which I totally understand, I tend to do that with podcasts. Hey, at least you're here. Yes. That's amazing. And we're so glad you're listening. You are joining us on one of our Wednesday episodes, which features me. Episode four. So last Sunday, we heard from Darby and we heard about... Acid. Actually, MKUltra, but... Acid sounds fun. (laughs) (laughs) And now um, we decided to split up the episodes just because they were getting a little bit too long and we wanted to focus more on quality, not quantity. So actually we were focusing on the quantity of there's too much to this episode. Yes. (laughs) This makes it easier for editors and listeners alike and us. (laughs) Especially us. Really, all of that is us. This was a very selfish decision. (laughs) Um, So we split it up. Every Wednesday, you will hear from me in terms of psychology. And every Sunday, you shall hear from Darby with her conspiracy of the week. Ooh, Ooh, fun. So, Darby, what did you pull out of my hat? Love turned into obsession. Ooh, this, I will admit, was very, very fun to look into. I was pretty excited to get this topic. Um, it's one of my, it's one of my many that I've been super excited to do. So, first and foremost, I apologize in advance, but what is love? This one stuck in my head this entire time I've been doing this. I... <laughs> what? I was going to sing the rest, but I don't know it. Baby, don't hurt Oh, me. I did know it. That's literally what popped into my head, and I was like, I don't think that's right. That's like the only two lines. I will be perfectly honest. Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Okay, cool. I was right. I was on the right song. I'm sorry. This is not a singing podcast. I can't sing. (laughs) (laughs) No, just that line has been repeating in my head the entire week that I've been doing this topic. So I'm now going to get it stuck in all of your heads as payback. All right. That's okay. So what is love? There, I'm not going to go. It's dead. Well, that just turned real depressing. Darby's boyfriend, if you're hearing this, I'm so sorry. He already knows my bleak outlook on love. Okay, so for us optimists, or actually, if we're going to go with realists, I found this really cool article from Psychology Today that was the science behind falling in love. And I thought that was super interesting, so I was just going to share, like, a little bit about what happens when you first fall in love. So. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm going to be very dark this whole episode. My bad. (laughs) Here I am. I'm, like, the romantic comedy fan, and her version of romantic comedies are horror films. Chainsaw Massacre? That was a romantic comedy. (laughs) Chucky? Didn't you feel the love in that? Especially the bride of Chucky. Yeah. Romantic right there. Especially when they, you know, kill each other in the end. That's what love is. Okay. 
eating chocolate <laughs> or eating chocolate yes there are a lot of biological reasonings for why dopamine gets released um you can look definitely into bf skinner's experiments in terms of conditioning uh. yes. <laughs> in terms of conditioning what makes or pavlov's dogs in terms of salvation um salivating sorry uh. salivating like the things that create an inherent response within you so a lot of there is a lot of debate about what causes that initial dopamine when you see a person. A lot of people comment about part of beauty is aesthetics and the symmetry of a person's face. So if somebody has a very symmetric looking face, they're seen as beautiful. Mm. Um, it could be that. It could be you see somebody who's strong and your biological drive wants a perfect mate, someone who will protect your young. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or for men. You see a woman with wide hips. You think, hmm, that's some good childbirth <laughs> hips there. Psychological research behind why we fall in love. It's there is that biological aspect of procreating, in which you're like, mm, she can birth the child already. But I'm laughing because I had a friend who used to every time he would meet a new girl, he'd be like, Oh, your hips aren't great or your hips are fantastic. <laughs> And that's exactly what he was referring to was childbirthing hips. And no. <laughs> As I swipe along Tinder, I don't look for the photos that have images of hips. <laughs> but whatever floats your boat, or I guess floats your dopamine. I guess if your yes. only goal is kids. True. So yeah, that is, that is part of the psychology behind it. We don't always know why that dopamine level increases. A lot of people comment that they have a type, the bad boy type, other types mm, of types. I know that. That'll make you more interested. I have a type. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Everybody does. But so like you may salivate at milk chocolate, but you don't at dark chocolate and you think white chocolate is the best. Who knows? It all Gross. Happens. White chocolate's the worst. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm weird. I like white chocolate and dark chocolate. I do not like milk. Something's wrong with you. <laughs> milk chocolate and dark chocolate, yes, agree. They're delicious. White chocolate, gross. Not even chocolate. <laughs> it's actually not even chocolate. No, <laughs> it's not. It has no cocoa. But, but I like it. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so, after that release of dopamine and the feelings of excitement and ha happiness, you're also, there's a, an increase of testosterone which increases your sexual desire, but also increases aggressive behavior and behaviorally may push someone to persuade the one who's fueling this intense response. So you see someone, dopamine levels increase, and then along with that, your testosterone increases, which will cause you to walk up to that person and say a cheesy pickup line in attempts to woo your love. <laughs> woo. woo! Like, hey, how you doing? Oh my gosh, Darby, is your arm okay? 
It must have hurt when you fell down. Are you from Tennessee? Because you're the only 10 I see. Mm, I'm the only one in the room, but I'll take it. <laughs> so, dopamine increase, you're feeling happy, testosterone increases, you're feeling, yes, I can do this, I can go, I'm going to. It pushes you to go pursue the one. So, after that, the neurotransmitters, neuroreptine, I'm so sorry, no, no reptile. Nobody that listens to our podcast knows if you're saying that right or wrong. I just need you to know that. You never know. I'm like my old psychology professor will somehow dig this up and be like, Paige, I said that to you 500 Actually, times. I do take that back. My sister and my mom may or may not be listening at this point, and they would know if you're saying it wrong. Yes, I am so sorry. No refined brain and PEA, which is fen phenylphylamine so those two neurotransmitters lead to focused attention individuals start to zero in on the person they desire and at the same time often have a feeling of euphoria so these are the so you have the initial excitement you have the drive to go towards it and then you have these neurotransmitters which are zeroing in specifically on that person and the and the focus of your desire so also PEA, one of the neurotransmitters, is responsible for feelings of giddiness and may cause a loss of appetite. So hey, if you need to fall in love, maybe a good good diet. <laughs> um, but, but if the relationship doesn't last, the PEA levels fall and are partially responsible for the feelings of depression that can be experienced. So if you go through a bad breakup and you feel all those bottom of the ice cream pint feelings, you we'll see, probably blame that on PEA. That's my diet. When I get depressed, I just don't eat. Darby. When I'm happy, <laughs> I eat a lot. <laughs> I'm great. I think food is an all-around occasion. <laughs> sad ice cream. If you happy notice me ice cream. not eating, then I'm sad and you should check in. But yes. I eat all the time. So you can blame PEA for your initial focused attention on person and also for your depression after that may or may not work out. So Perfect. You have this beginning loop of um, neurotransmitters and hormone releases and a feedback loop begins to, begins to form with a brain reward, sy reward system. So during the initial stage, stages of love or lust, this reward system is stimulated through very simple means like a loved touch, seeing a photograph, or even just thinking about this person can increase elevated mood and focused attention. So, Pavlov's dog? <laughs> Were you, did the dinner bell ring or did you see a photo of him? Who knows? You're suddenly happy. <laughs> I mean, that works though. That's that. This describes like that first initial puppy love, the honeymoon stage where everyone's super giddy, super excited. So this is just an interesting glimpse about the psychology and the biology behind regular love. But so what happens after love fails? After love fails or after love goes horribly wrong? Well, love is dead, so same thing. No, in this, po in this episode, the love is very, very much alive. But first, fun fact about love. Some scholars have speculated that the best time to find lasting love is the fall, 
was summer being the best time to find short-term relationships oh well i feel like that was just known though because like in the fall you're like i need a boyfriend for all of these holidays that are coming up and i'm gonna get chubby so i need someone that loves me <laughs> and... okay, that's not at all what i thought i was thinking oh, oh. My gosh, boots and autumn and, boots and, <laughs> and love. Like, i'm totally a fall basic person and then the summer you're like well i'm on vacation anyway so see again i thought differently i was like man it's See, I'm a start, summer person. True. If you start any intro to psychology class, there's a common talk when you start talking about correlations with the rise of murder, with the rise of ice cream sales. But ice cream sales rise in the winter. No, they rise in the summer because it's hot and people want ice cream to cool down. Because of depression, they rise in the winter. <laughs> Sorry, you're ruining my correlation here. Okay. No, it rises in the summer because it gets hot, but it also correlates with the rise of murder because heat makes you gross, it makes you aggressive. Those aggressive feelings can turn into murder. It makes me happy. So a common thing that you'll hear in psychology textbooks and in psychology circles is ice cream causes murder. <laughs> so if somebody stole your last pint of Ben and Jerry's, it is totally understandable. Anyway, so with that fun fact of love, let's talk about when love becomes too much. So what is obsessive love? There is actually two disorders that I'm going to talk about. Um, and then the last one is going to be our focus of our case study. So the first one is obsessive love disorder. Oh, ODL? No, OLD? <laughs> I'm trying to make an acronym out of this. It's cold? It's old. Oh. <laughs> it's old. Obsessive love disorder. Yes. Old. <laughs> Tale as old as Old time. love. <laughs> That sounds disgusting. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like I never. I never want my life to revolve around one person, and like. Yeah, no. This is Mark. Sounds gross. <laughs> this is marked as a very, very unhealthy version of love in a relationship. So the, what makes this different from the next disorder that I'm talking about is that. It is a little bit more common and it does happen between relationships, especially in codependent relationships, um, where either one or both partners just completely depend on each other, but it's starting to impact the rest of their life. Mm. So mednetizen.com actually, oh sorry, medicinenet.com actually has the warning signs and the symptoms. Oh, what are the symptoms? <laughs> I need to know. So low self-esteem and then a tendency of needing excessive reassurance. Oh, that sounds really familiar. 
Um, obsessively talking about their loved object, making repeated calls, texts, and or faxes to the love object. <laughs> Who faxes? <laughs> let's, let's switch that to tweets. <laughs> making repeated calls, texts, and or tweets to the love object. So unwanted, inattentive attention to the love object. Can we say person instead of object? Because all I'm thinking of is like a chair. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> it could be a person. Could not be a person. Oh, gosh. Again, this is one of those things where you could switch out in terms of alcoholism. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, I like, get it. you could also, I don't know this for fact, but I would assume this also can do, like, um, not so much as, like, a romantic love, but, like, a love towards a child or a love towards um, oh. another family member. Maybe it just is overcrossing the line of that. It depends. Um, so, a tendency to have extremely good or bad feelings about someone so like to not balance it's just this pendulum um a tendency to focus on only the positive or negative aspects of their loved one trouble focusing on work recreation socializing and other aspects of their lives outside of the object of their affection um attempts to monitor or otherwise control their love love objects life and activities Hmm. um and then excessive joy to the point of relief when able to get in touch with or be with their loved object so it is very much so an addiction to them. This this person is addicting. They're their life's energy. Nothing matters but this person. Ah. So as you said, drugs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but so there are causes to this where it's it's not always their fault, or in terms of there are biological reasons why this can happen. Um, there can be underlying mental illnesses that can cause this in terms of like schizophrenia, bipolar, delusional disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, personality disorder, and then any um, organic brain syndrome like traumatic brain injury. Mm. So this doesn't always mean that somebody is just like an obsessive person. They may have something underlying that causes it. Um, but that may escalate into malicious behavior, including um, engaging in, in tools of psychological control. So, like, in, in an effort to keep their loved one close so they can control their money, their food, and they can also stalk or use violence. Oh, perfect. Well, I mean, you think of it as, like, a drug addict. What won't they do to get their fix? I mean, this person, that person is their fix. And you're going to control that fix. You're going to make sure that you have it when you need it. It's going to be available. Say, hey, you're not going to get your next meal unless you come to me. So it's pretty horrible, and it can definitely turn. That love can turn a little rotten. (laughs) Mm. Yes. So treatment, there is psychotherapy where this is like a working relationship. The couples can go into couples counseling, work it out. It can be solved. And then treating any underlying mental condition. So this is just um, one person, one obsession, one addiction towards one person. The next one is erotomania. That sounds fun. Yes. Ero, love of God. Oh. (laughs) Erotomania. So it is a delusional disorder in which another person has a delusion and an an idea that an individual is infatuated with them. Hmm. So you have the idea that someone you are obsessed with is in love with you. Oh, so it's like those made-up relationships that people have and like... Yes, exactly. Uh... Yes, 
this you'll see commonly with um sorry <clears throat> this you'll commonly see um with like celebrities um and other figures so this there's two forms primary and secondary so primary is most commonly referred to as de Klemmergolf syndrome or old maid's insanity oh okay <laughs> and it exists alone without comorbidity so it just says this person this is their only their only condition they don't have another underlying illness it, they don't have another underlying illness so the secondary form is they do have other mental disorders like paranoid schizophrenia, um, other delusions, uh, hallucinations, and grandiose ideas. Mm. So it depends. Do you have one issue or multiple? So, so something that I meant to say earlier, both of these conditions are most common with women. Huh. I guess I could see that. Yes. Um, it is pretty prevalent that most crime and things with women does tend to have to do with love and passion. Um, these disorders included um the men that are diagnosed with erotomania uh they are more likely to commit violent and stalker-like behaviors well i can see that <laughs> more testosterone which as we talked about with what is love love increases testosterone can also increase aggressive aggressive mm. behaviors so the case study that we are going to talk about is actually a man. Ooh. Yes, I kind of wanted to break the mold. There were many, many women's cases, but I felt, you know, let's not gender stereotype. That's all I thought of was <laughs> women and like, how dare you cheat on me, stab. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to break the mold. Men can love too. Equal rights people. Nobody loves. <laughs> that one was 100% a joke. Not my beliefs. Drinking game for this episode every time I have to sigh at her comments. The rest are true. That one was kind of a joke. <laughs> no, but there is definitely a focus where um, I wanted to bring out, like, this is a case that does also affect men. Um, yes. So the object of the delusion is typically a person who is unattainable, unattainable due to high social or financial status, marriage, or disinterest. So it's some, you want what you can't get. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you asked for more psychology. I gave you more psychology. I like it, but I'm going to keep saying love is dead. Love is not real. It's a chemistry. It's a chemical in your brain that fades, just like you said. You proved my point. Love is not real. <laughs> it is real. It's a real chemical reaction in the brain. If you're just now joining us, I'm sorry. We've been arguing about this for a minute. <laughs> But it fades too, and therefore not real. When you erase a marker, doesn't does that mean the marker doesn't exist? Yes. <laughs> Where is your object permanence? Um. If I hide under this table, will I suddenly disappear from you? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna do that now. <laughs> suddenly, like, hide behind this like, whose page has turned into a philosophy podcast instead of psychology. <laughs> what is a chair? I think everyone's. I want every single person to do this. Yes. We're going to post this on Facebook. It's just going to be one state, one status that says, what is a chair? Question mark. And I need everyone to comment. Yes. Tell me what a chair is. Mm -hmm. Describe it to me. Is that, if you send, give us a picture, is it just a picture? 
Is that really a chair? What does that definition mean? Is that your definition or everyone's definition? What's that word? Where's the word chair? What is chair? Oh, oh man. Okay, we're getting As I was saying, this is typically someone who is unattainable, just you want what you can't get. And it may also be an imaginary person, a deceased person. An imaginary friend. Or someone the patient has never, ever met. I'm in love with my imaginary friend. Okay, foster's home for the imaginary friend. That's petting. They just pick up a headwig stuffed animal and starts petting it. My imaginary friend. Uh, Hedwig is real. I refuse to believe anything. You know what? Cade's Cade six will be my imaginary friend. What video game is that from? Destiny. (laughs) (laughs) So a side effect of this condition is delusions of reference. So this is an event that a person believes um, has a special and personal meaning. So, the perceived admirer secretly communicates their love by subtle methods such as body posture, arrangement of household objects, colors, license plates, um, being from specific states, and other seemingly, like, innocent acts. So, let's say I'm a person obsessed with this celebrity, and I see them do an interview, and they tuck their hair behind their ear. I think that that they're they are sending me a secret message telling me how much they love me. So if Daniel Radcliffe tucks his hair behind his ear. He is definitely telling me that he hates me. Do not mess with me. That's our signal to each other. No, but it is acts like that. If you could if this was like say your next door neighbor uh, you could say, oh, my next door neighbor just planted blue flowers. That's their sign that they love me. Like, it's just these random acts. Um, they're just these events that these that um, patients stick the this delusion onto. Hmm. Yep. I see. And another symptom is denial. Just obviously denying. That they don't love you. <laughs> no, yes, denying anything that does not fit with their delusion or their idea of what's happening. So they're like, no, um, this is real. We're married. We're together. Everything else is a lie. Don't even try it. Um, this is this is facts. Not from science. Fake news. That's what I meant. <laughs> I mean this. so this was kind of fun not really though but an interesting way that it was described in early times so sigmund freud explained erotomania as a defense mechanism to ward off homosexual impulses which can lead to strong feelings of paranoia denial displacement oh like if you're in denial that you're gay you would say that like right right in a way no so okay he believes that if you have any homosexual desires or urges, your body compensates with this overindulgence and this delusion of love towards a, like a uh, opposite sex member. Oh. So it's it's overcompensating. Little different than I thought. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So saying, oh, you're 
having an urge, say, me towards another girl, your bo- my body's going to overcompensate with this obsession towards a guy. Ah. Uh. Yes. But that's Sigmund Freud. We always know he has very fun ideas. With He's interesting. Psychology. Yes. <laughs> Didn't very he say everyone wants to kill their mother and, like... I think kill their father. Kill their father and marry their mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's also common that daughters marry their father and sons marry their mother. Like somebody who's similar to their that parental figure. <laughs> it's so weird. There's that's like that horrible moment if you're at a family reunion or something and you just look at your boyfriend and dad interacting and you're like, oh no. thanks Freud (laughs) but no thankfully some of his ideas have been debunked Um, so on to our case study yes murder tell me the murder attempted but love caused murder love is dangerous attempted murder is not fun don't fall for love (laughs) that's my PSA (laughs) Again, prevalence of less than 1%. I do love my boyfriend. I promise. <laughs> I'm over here preaching this love and great things, and you're over here going, no. <laughs> so, John Hinckley Jr. See, that's the name ring the bell at all. Did I finally trump you with someone? I don't know that. <gasps> I do not know John Hinckley Jr. <laughs> John Hinckley Jr. was born May 29, 1955 in Ard- Ardmore, Oklahoma. He then moved to he moved around from Texas to Colorado, um, et cetera, and he went to college for a little bit before dropping out. Um, but we're going to – he had pretty much a normal childhood, nothing very special with it. What is normal? Um, no traumatic effects no he had two siblings two um two siblings mom dad his dad was the owner of a very large oil company um so they moved around a lot for his job um but other than that wasn't too much i mean the only downside was that his siblings were very successful um his older brother went on to take possession of his father's company and his sister graduated and was also successful. They were both so successful that one of their dad's colleagues, Robert, um, one of their father's colleagues, Robert Candade, said, I never knew he had another son. I thought he had only one boy. Oh, no. <laughs> so he was a poor little, guy. Yeah. He moved to Hollywood like with the hope of being a songwriter but he was really unsuccessful apparently wrote to his parents a lot like asking for money and I feel bad for him Um, and then eventually back to he also spoke of a girlfriend Lynn Collins but she was did he murder her no oh oh okay well probably because he needed something to live up to kind of like he was a little bit in the shadow of his siblings and family he he was seen as the less successful but other than that he was um like class president a couple times he played football he um, so he was successful just not compared to his siblings yes he like played piano football a bunch of sports a bunch of activities so he 
He had his own successes, just not a big enough shadow. <laughs> um, but let's move on to his obsession. Not Linda. No, not Linda. Linda's not real. <laughs> and Linda is Lynn. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Lynn, Linda, Linda, same thing. Where's Linda? Linda seems more common than Lynn. My bad. In 1976, Hinckley became obsessed with the film Taxi Driver. Have you ever seen that? No, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, it's very popular. It's starring Robert De Niro and um, Jodie Foster. So this... He was in love with Jodie Foster. Ah. Yes. Stop jumping. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, what sorry. else did you expect me to do? <laughs> no, it's Robert De Niro. Oh, okay. Well. Lloyd was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, disturbed protagonist Travis Bickle, um, played by Robert De Niro, he is plotting to assassinate a presidential candidate. This character was actually based on the diaries of Arthur Bremer, who is a real-life true crime he attempted to assassinate presidential candidate George Wallace. I don't even know who George Wallace is. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's not a, I mean, it's Wait. Not he's, he's not a president. He's a presidential candidate. Yeah. It was based on the diaries of Arthur Bremer. He attempted to assassinate presidential candidate George Wallace. And so Hinckley actually owned a copy of the book on which the movie was based. So there's lots of signs of how obsessed he was with this movie. He apparently viewed it more than 15 times, so, which, if that counts as obsession, I have watched a movie way too many times. So, was he obsessed with Jodie Foster as the actress or the character she played? He first became attracted. He kind of he kind of became the persona of Travis Binkle, the character, but and so he became an um, infatuated with the character that Jodie Foster played, which was okay. the prostitute Iris Beensma. Um, oh. So, and then that moved to actual, the actress Jodie Foster. Okay. So it did progress, um, but he did his full and un, his full focus of his erotomania was Jodie Foster. So... Poor Jodie. Yes. It gets worse. Oh. Yes. So when Foster, actually, she entered Yale University as a freshman, Hinkley moved to New Haven to follow her and stalk her. Wait, she, so she went to school after being an actress? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she uh, actually, when this court case came out, she spent a lot of time with being interviewed by the FBI and everything. She's like, I don't know this person. I have no idea what's going on. Like, before everything else escalated, she was getting all these notes and everything. She was like, I don't know who this is. I've never interacted with this person. I just want to be a normal freshman. Mm -hmm. So she was trying very hard to be just a college freshman, which is, I mean, is already really hard as an actress. Plus, you add an erotomania. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he began slipping um, poems and messages under her door, and he repeatedly called her. Um, he actually spent much of his time a few blocks from her dorm room bragging oh. at the Sheridan Park Plaza Hotel that he was Foster's boyfriend. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so that's part of that delusionary act where he believes that he they are in a relationship. Like, So this entire time, he's not just in love with her. He thinks that Foster loves him. Mm. He thinks that Foster, um, they have a great relationship and that they are meant to be. Yes. 
<laughs> so he even enrolls in a Yale writing class. He does all this. He's just stalking her during her years um, at Yale. Great. Yes. So failing to develop any meaningful contact with the actress, Hensley fantasized about different ways to really get her attention. Some of these included an aircraft hijacking or committing suicide in front oh, of her. Perfect. I mean, can you imagine this poor actress is just trying to be a normal college freshman and then all of a sudden somebody commits suicide in front of her? I mean, <laughs> that would definitely grab her attention. I don't think it'll get what you want. <laughs> it's going to get a restraining order. I mean, he's dead. Oh, well. <laughs> I thought you said attempted. No, well, <laughs> of committing, yes, but yeah, no. Um, so eventually... He decided the best way to impress her and the best way to get her attention would be to try to assassinate a president. Ah! Just like the character in Taxi Driver. So which president did... So first, he attempted um, that... He attempted with President Jimmy Carter. Oh! Mm-hmm. Um, but he was arrested in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, before that, he got caught at the airport with guns on him. <laughs> That's smart. Yes. <laughs> what year is this? Uh, this was before 1981. Oh, okay. So pre-9-11. Yeah, pre-9-11. But it's still probably shouldn't have three <laughs> handguns on you in an airport. No. So he did get arrested, but it wasn't a large enough case for them to warrant fingerprinting him or to really, like, make a big deal out of it. He was pretty much released. Because it's pre-9-11. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, back then, you bring three guns into an airport airport you get a slap on the wrist yeah, yeah. don't do it again yeah they didn't even it was an accident they didn't fingerprint him. i get it yeah. <laughs> those things happen so with failing to get president jimmy carter he then moved on to newly elected president ronald reagan in 1981 yeah. yes so right before he decided to attempt an assassination he wrote to foster um he knew he might be killed but he wanted to just send a last message to to his love. How beautiful. So sweet. I mean, what are you going to get your boyfriend for Valentine's Day? You can get him flowers, chocolates, or an assassination attempt. <laughs> that one. Top that That's one. That's my pick. Top that one. That's what every girl wants for Valentine's Day. A murder. <laughs> Not just a murder, an assassination. Um... So he mailed this letter. He said that he hoped to impress her with the magnitude of his action. And he says, I want to abandon the idea of getting Reagan in a second if I could only win your heart and live out the rest of my life with you. He also Ooh. says, over the past seven months, I've left you dozens of poems, letters, and love messages in the faint hope that you can develop an interest in me. Although we talked on the phone a couple of times, I had never had the nerve to simply approach you and introduce myself. The reason I'm going ahead with this attempt now is because I cannot wait any longer to impress you. So he says, side note, he says that they talked on the phone. Jodie Foster in later interviews and talks with the FBI said she's never had communication. She's never had this talk with him. Mm. So. so he was talking to his imaginary friend, exactly. Lynn, and thought that it was Jodie Foster. Yes. <laughs> Got it. March 30th, 1981, around 2.27 local time, Hinckley shot a revolver six times at Reagan as he left the Hilton Hotel in Washington, D.C. 
after the president addressed an AFL-CIO conference. So, the this it was kind of interesting. So you commented earlier about how pre nine eleven, somebody was surprised at how easy it was to get to the president. No. <laughs> Um, so normally the Secret Service required him to required Reagan to wear bulletproof vests, but he was not wearing one for this speech because the public exposure would only be thirty feet between the hotel and his limousine, which is where Kingsley shot. Um, and the so he also Reagan's schedule was published in the Washington Star that day, so he knew pretty much when and where he was going to be at any given moment. Um, also, the fact that with Reagan, I actually, if you go to the Google Docs and you look at my extras, I posted a video of the assassination attempt. Oh, gosh. It is entirely on on video. Um, just have her connect. Wow, we shot a few people. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's pretty much a lot of chaos after that. Um, so as you can see from, and if anyone, if you just, it's just a YouTube link. If you look up a assassination attempt, Ronald Reagan, it's the first link that pops up. Um, but if you see it, there's, but by the limit, there's no, there's only like a rope separating the people and the president with only about like. 10 to 30 feet between them like there was not much security at all so Hinckley had a really clear shot um, he actually shot six times every single bullet missed the president um, except um, a caveat so the first bullet hit the press secretary James Brady in the head um, and the second hit the District of Columbia police officer Thomas DeLady in the back of his neck as he turned to protect Reagan um, he so now that he's the his two first people by him were hit, he now had a clear shot, um, but the third bullet overshot him and hit the window of the building across the street. Um, so Special Agent um, Jerry Parr quickly pushed Reagan into the limousine, and Secret Service Agent Tim McCarthy put himself in the line of fire and spread his body in front of Reagan to make himself a target. So there's, I mean... Totally have to applaud him. He just yeah. was putting himself as a shield for the president, which I get is his job, but still to actually do it as it's happening is very brave. Yeah. Yes. Um, so Tim McCarthy did get hit. He got he stepped in front of President Reagan, saving saving the president from harm at considerable risk to his own life. He was struck in the abdomen abdomen by the fourth bullet. The fifth bullet hit the bullet-resistant glass of the window of, on the open side door of the limousine, and then the sixth and final bullet ricocheted off the armored side of the limousine and hit the president in the left underarm, grazing a rib and lodging in his lung, causing it to partially collapse. Oh, wow. But it stopped wow. less than an inch from his heart. Gosh. Yes. Wow. So... Six bullets, not until the sixth one, and even then the sixth bullet just ricocheted. He got um, lucky. <laughs> the president did, yes. Super, yeah. Um, Hink uh, Hinkley did not try to flee and was arrested at the scene. 
as you saw. Yep. Yep. So he didn't care. Yes. Um, all three survived, but um, Brady, the first person who got hit in the head, um, he suffered brain damage and was permanently disabled and then eventually passed away. And because he passed away about 30 years later, they ruled his death a homicide because of... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, because, yeah. yeah. I mean, the leading causes to his death were because of an attempted murder. Yeah. Um, so everybody else did survive. Um, he was immediately arrested on the spot. Um, and so upon his request, Hinckley reportedly asked the offers if the news would disrupt the Academy Awards ceremony scheduled for that night. He was still so focused on Jodie Foster and making sure she heard about what he did for her. Which, at that point, anyone's just going to hear assassination attempt on the president. They're probably not focused yet on who did it and why they did it. I mean, they may be focused on who, but they don't care that it's because you wanted the attention of some woman. Yeah, that's probably a later information, but it did actually, so the ceremony was indeed postponed until the following night, so only the third time in history that the Oscars had failed to go ahead as scheduled. So this was, I mean, it was an assassination yeah. attempt. It was a big deal, and it was, so he did go down in the history books like he wanted, but for stalling the Oscars and attempting the life of the president. Yeah, I have a feeling she did not marry him and run off to the sunset. Didn't you know the ending was <laughs> I told you guys, the best gift to get for Valentine's Day. Um, <laughs> so... And his tr- he was tried in 1982 in Washington, D.C. He was charged with 13 offenses and was found not guilty. Oh, interesting. By reason of insanity. Okay, well. Yes. Uh, that's true. <laughs> so on June 21st, 1982, he was found not guilty. Um, the defense um, portrayed him as insane while the prosecution reports characterized him as legally sane. Um, his... This court case actually started a lot of widespread outrage and actually Mm -hmm. led to a large number of laws from the Congress and state governing when the insanity defense may be used. And because of this, Idaho, Montana, and Utah abolished the defense altogether. Um, And then 12 years later, um, to the signing of the Brady Bill, um, which required a waiting period and background checks on people wishing to purchase a handgun. Hmm. So this case, court case was actually a large sparking of a lot of the current debates on insanity pleas, gun registration, the type of things that you need to go through in order to purchase a gun. Which uh, is good. Yes. <laughs> um, so that is a case of how a love can turn completely into an obsession and then can turn into a murder attempt. And insane. Yes. What happened to Lynn? That's my question. There is no Lynn. But why did he break up with Lynn? She wasn't real. He doesn't know that clearly. He clearly doesn't know the difference between real and fake, so why should we think Lynn didn't work out? And stop changing her name to Lynn. Oh, it was Lynn. I said Linda first, Linda. and then you corrected me. Okay. So, for those of you who may have forgotten, he did speak of a girlfriend, Lynn Collins, who was not real. Which sounds vaguely like Phil Collins. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the musician. <laughs> so I had to read that a couple times before I 
clicked in my head that no, this was actually an imaginary person and not his first celebrity crush. <laughs> so yes, this tells you how the very real thing of love Fake. Fake news. <laughs> really real sensation of love can turn into obsession and can actually have detrimental psychological and violent effects. So you hear that love is not only fake, but it's also harmful. Sometimes. PSA, love is bad. I actually have quite a few topics in my head that relate to love. I will this not subject you to the song. Will be so fun. Starring the pessimist <laughs> and the helpless romantic <laughs> To my boyfriend, I love you unconditionally, but obsessively. obsessively. <laughs> I was getting there to my pun. I'd watch out. <laughs> you better watch out. <laughs> There's enough to go around everywhere because it's very real and very true. So, now it is time to see what I will be talking about next Wednesday. Let us see. Hmm. Alternative realities. Yes, I am excited. Excited for this one. <laughs> Sorry, I I pulled this out and was like, I somehow feel like this should be in my bag. <laughs> no, <I am> bag. <laughs> yes, I am very excited. This will be a good one. I'm so starting next week. You will hear from. I'll see you on Sunday. Yes, actually, I'm so sorry. Starting Sunday, you will hear from Darby, who will be talking about Agent Orange. Yes. She's exciting. And then I will see you next Wednesday, and we'll be talking about alternative realities. And as always, feel free to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, Matt is a Hatter. And send us any ideas you may have for either of our podcasts at madhatterpodcast at gmail.com. And you trip down the rabbit can hole. listen to us at. I am so. <laughs> and you can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Not to mention our website, um, which is linked on all of our accounts. So feel free to check us out and listen to our upcoming episodes or any ones that you might have missed. All right. Thank you for joining us on this fourth trip down the rabbit hole. Big Brother. <gasps> oh, that'll be good. That's the one that we both have in our bags. Yes, we do. So this will be exciting. We will have Big Brother next week. And then coming up on Sunday, we're going to have Darby with Agent Orange. Awesome. So as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Matt as a Hatter. And you can email us with any ideas you want, either Paige or I, to talk about at madhatterpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or you can check out our website for the full details and information and a list of all of our episodes. So, as always, thank you for our this trip down the rabbit hole, and we look forward to seeing you very soon.